0: Learn more at marines.com. Top 10 takeaways! Let's ride, baby! Uh, The semifinal week for fantasy football, the playoffs, just happened to be the signature streaming week. Of all time, where if you stream Justin Jackson and Isaiah McKinsey, hey the Isaiah McKinsey, hey, good old McKinsey, yes. I can't do I cannot do a Scottish accent. McKinsey! Yeah, I can't do it. I can't I don't know how to do it. I don't know. McKinsey. Yeah. He was great. McKinsey was incredible. I am heartbroken. I didn't start him in the Scott Fish Bowl. Ah, geez. You know, I was between Isaiah McKenzie and Laquan Treadwell, and I, and I went Treadwell. And we'll talk about it today. We'll talk about that decision ultimately. And you all know how this feels, right? You, you could have started one guy, you started a different guy. You didn't start the right guy. We never start the right guy. In these deep leagues where there's all these choices every week, I have a bench of eight guys. It's, it's a 1-9 in nine chance that I picked the right guy in my final flex position. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I didn't know Isaiah McKenzie was going to go off for like 25-plus fantasy points. I didn't know. Who knew? But if there were two players where we could say wide receiver X and wide receiver Y have maximum upside from the stream, you could go and you can pick them up in any league and stream them this week. There were two dudes. It was Josh Palmer, and it was Isaiah McKenzie. That's a terrible accent. Every time I do it, I know it sounds terrible. Like, I get it. It's not good. It's not in any way Scottish, but I just like saying it like that, and I'm going to work on it. In fact, it was on my list of things to do before the show to work on my Scottish accent so I could really nail the Isaiah McKenzie and uh, the McKinsey clan. I can't do it. See, it's terrible. It doesn't sound anything Scottish at all. It just sounds like a gravelly voice. But he is from the McKinsey clan. Yes, yes, yes.
1: The Highlands.
0: <laughs> Del Moro. <laughs> Something. I don't What? We talked about McKinsey thinking, thinking that Emmanuel Sanders would also be out. So that's what the was like. Listen, it's going to be McKenzie in the slot with no Beasley, no Sanders. As it turns out, by the time Sunday rolled around, it was actually no Davis, no Beasley. But either way, you knew Isaiah McKenzie would be playing in the slot. Someone's saying, as someone from the UK can confirm, the Scottish accent is shocking I don't know what that means. Is it good? I don't think this is, I think this is really a bad accent. I think it's really bad. It's not an accent because I'm not changing my voice at all. Like, I know when I change my voice. Good day to you, sir. Right? That that, that sounds fine. Like, that sounds, you know, a little bit British. Right? Top of the morning to you. Right? McKinsey. I, I can't, I don't know how to make that sound British. Top of the morning to you, McKinsey boy. I can't do it. How's the clan? Ah! It doesn't make sense. Like, I don't, I can't do it. It's not good. And uh, I refuse to take any more comments from the chat encouraging me to keep going with this. I'm not going to keep going with this accent. It's really bad. We're not doing it. It's terrible. It's fun, though. That's the thing. Like, I have fun doing it. And one of the things that I've learned yeah, it's like a circus see i told myself just now i would stop looking at the chat stop taking encouragement from the chat and here i am getting encouragement from the chat and now i'm back doing it but it is it's like a circus character right come on, come all see the mckenzie what again does it even work what did we know we knew they were pulling targets out of the offense so with McKinsey there really was this 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 perfect Venn diagram of they're pulling two key members of this offense out. Davis has been key, Beasley's been key. Davis has been out targeting and out producing Emmanuel Sanders the last few weeks. Cole Beasley's been the clear number 2 on the target hierarchy this week. This was the move to play McKinsey knowing that A this is an offense that's going to go out and have to score points. But you know Patriots Bills is not going to be 13-12, right? We knew that. So for all those reasons, McKenzie was a great play. He'd be playing in the slot, and we know the slot role, the Cole Beasley role in the Bills offense is exceptional. And for target conservation purposes, he's going to be a top-four target for a team that throws the ball often, so they have one of the highest pass-to-run ratios in the league, and they play with pace. And you pull two key receivers out of the offense and you put him in a volume role in the slot. Even if he's just a baseline replacement level player, he's going to get you four to six targets. Now we didn't know he was going to put up nine, ten targets, catch them all, like diving to catch these passes, full horizontal, just acrobatic, toe tapping. I didn't know he was going to be good too. But even if you didn't know he was going to be good, you knew that this was a high upside play. And I played Treadwell instead. I played Treadwell because I had McKenzie, and then I found out, oh, Chenault's going to be out. So now it's the Jets, and it's already Chenault's been the target leader and the air yards leader for the team the last month. Now no Chenault, so he's going to be the clear leader. Maybe Jones gets in there, but there's they're going to have to go to to Treadwell to probably be losing in the second half. So probably he, he could even have some garbage time. Who knows? The issue with playing Treadwell was that he hasn't been productive all year because this offense isn't productive. So that's the thing. Even if you take the primary option in a particular passing game, that guy doesn't have the same upside as a guy that's sliding into a volume role on a prolific offense. So even if technically, technically I looked and I said, well, McKenzie's really the number four behind Diggs, Sanders, and Knox. Treadwell's the number one. There's not a tight end of consequence outside James O'Shaughnessy for the Jacksonville Jaguars. There is more touchdown potential for Treadwell as the perimeter option. All true, right? All true. And I've been playing Treadwell, and thankfully, I went and looked And I would not have advanced to the finals of the Scott Fish Bowl had I played McKenzie. Thankfully, I was beat by more than like 25 fantasy points. I ended up finishing fourth in the conference. And the conference is like however many divisions rolled up. 8, 10, 12 divisions rolled up into a conference. And then there's these conference playoffs. And you get to finish top two in the conference to move on to the final. And I know some people from the underworld did. Not Nate Liss. A lot of us were in the, in the semifinals, which are the conference finals, and I felt great about it. I still finished fourth. Amari Cooper, right? The Rodgers-Adams stack. A lot of things went well, right? We, we had a good week. Most weeks would have been a great week, but when you're trying to be top two out of ten other division winners, it's not easy. The odds you, you make it are not good, and I knew I just had to start the exact right guys And I had to shoot for upside because I was trying to go to be the top two out of ten. I should have gone McKenzie knowing there's just a hell of a lot more upside in that Bills offense than there was in the Jaguars offense. The Jaguars players just don't score fantasy points. See, that's the fundamental thing. I overthought it. I was like, this is the number one option versus the number four option. This guy's been getting targets and air yards every week. This guy, I have no idea. Like, he's a complete unknown if I had had some balls and if I had listened to my guest, John Daigle, who said, play Isaiah McKenzie, I still would have lost, <laughs> all right? I still would have finished third instead of fourth in the conference final. And maybe I would have been even more heartbroken. We all know this feeling where you look up and you're like, okay, I made the wrong start sit decision, but it didn't matter. Thank God the guy who beat me destroyed me, right? The, the two people to finish first and second in the conference finals were awesome. And thank God for that. The last thing I need is to, to try to be you know, going to sleep at night thinking I, I had McKenzie. John told me McKenzie. I love McKenzie. I picked up McKenzie, talked about McKenzie on every platform only to not fucking play McKenzie killed me. And then I didn't, didn't then I was like, whew, didn't matter. I mean, I did play some McKenzie, right? I played McKenzie just not in the Scott Fishbowl, not in the Scott. I had a lot of options. Amari Cooper wasn't going to bench Cooper, squeaky wheel game. And the squeaky wheel game is one of the more difficult phenomenon for us as analytical analysts to explain because it happens so often. It happens so often where clearly a player who is good, who's getting either under-targeted or not getting enough touches – will go to the media complain and then time and time again that squeaky wheel is oiled is lubricated that it pays off it 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 it's a good idea it's it's a smart tactic to go to the media and complain that you're not getting enough targets now Amari Cooper I'm not benching him I suspected maybe he was a long hauler with covid and but the thing is you never know when the guy is going to get back to 100% and when he goes into the media and he says feed me Now was the time to feed me. That gave me a clue that, oh, he was feeling back to himself. Where For those weeks where he wasn't getting targeted, perhaps he wasn't feeling himself anyway. And he knew there was an explanation. If he's feeling better, then he feels more confident to go to the media and request those targets. And then he was fed. So that I saw coming. I wasn't going to bench Cooper and regret that one. No way. Against Washington? Hell no. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Ugh played Ricky Seals-Jones on the other side. That didn't go well. Ricky Seals-Jones gets targets. When he's playing, he gets targets. He's the number 2 receiver for that Washington team. You know they were going to be down a lot of negative game script, but here's the thing. And this is the the key takeaway for this week. The number 1 takeaway is teams that stink chasing targets on teams that stink is a low upside tactic. Don't chase targets on teams that stink. That's it. That's it. That's a huge takeaway. That's a giant takeaway. Think of who I started in the Scott Fish Bowl. I started Ricky Seals-Jones over Tyler Higbee. In retrospect, that was a mistake. And I started Laquan Treadwell over Isaiah McKenzie. In retrospect, that was a mistake because there's just a hell of a lot more points and explosive upside being a part of the Rams offense or the Bills offense than there is being a part of the Washington offense going against what is one of the most improved defenses in the league in Dallas or the Jags against anybody doesn't doesn't matter if it's the Jets who cares awful just awful so it still wouldn't have mattered (laughs) like thankfully had I started Higby started McKenzie it would not have mattered would still have lost in the Scott Fishbowl Conference Championships, it was a good team. It was a fundamentally sound team to be put together. And especially in Superflex and 2QB, I'm much more likely to go zero RB, which I did in that case. Started AJ Dillon and Miles Sanders. Couldn't get my hands on Justin Jackson. Had I played Justin Jackson, it could have been different. But he was he was picked up by someone at some point this season and never dropped. these deep leagues someone picks up a Justin Jackson they're not motivated to drop him they're like "Why, why am I why am I gonna drop Justin Jackson he's the backup running back on a prolific offense I'm not doing that Austin Eckler comes down with COVID Austin Eckler gets hurt boom we have RB1 upside that's exactly what Justin Jackson delivered not only did he give you the yards and the touchdown he gave you the receptions he was the receptions leader eight plus targets that's what he did at Northwestern. He's had big games. He's had big explosive games. Same thing with with Chase Edmonds. He and Chase Edmonds have similar profiles. These guys are about 200 pounds. They were total workhorses at the college level, and they are electric in space and slick receivers especially. That's the most important thing about Chase Edmonds and about Justin Jackson. They are slick receivers, and if you're going to put a slick receiver in that primary back role, you have to start that guy. I just wish I, I could have picked him up. I didn't have him. But it just goes to show that, especially in an era of COVID where guys can go out any given week, we lose Kelsey, we lose Eckler, two studs, essentially the two of the three best players you could have drafted in the first round. Like It was a, just an apocalypse in the first round. Just a wasteland in hindsight because no Dalvin Cook for periods of time, McCaffrey gone. Aaron Jones, disappointing. I mean, on down the list. No Derrick Henry for the second half of the season. Tyreek Hill dutted out in a critical game for fantasy gamers. Week 16, we needed you, Tyreek Hill. Who delivered? Who delivered in week 16 and throughout the season? It was Devontae Adams. It was Austin Eckler. It was Travis Kelsey. And no Kels, no Eckler. Adams was the only one who delivered. Really, it was Adams and Ezekiel Elliott this week from the first round, players that delivered. Even Jonathan Taylor didn't deliver. Maybe he was drafted in the first round in your league. He didn't deliver either. So there's going to be a big rush to go zero RB next year because the upside with a Justin Jackson is so huge. Now, you can stream receivers. We talk about this. Streaming wide receivers is underrated. The two clear receiver streaming options this week was Isaiah McKenzie and Josh Palmer for all the same reasons. You're pulling Guyton and you're pulling Mike Williams out of that Chargers offense. And for target conservation purposes, you're playing Josh Palmer on a prolific offense. Is this a prolific offense, a top 10 offense? Yes. Are you pulling two out of the top three wide receivers out of the offense? Yes. Play Josh Palmer. The same was true for Buffalo. Play Isaiah McKenzie. We know I didn't. (laughs) I'm pissed still but yet less pissed because the first and second place teams destroyed me with or without McKenzie. This has been established. But this is what you're looking for when you're streaming. And so, not only do all these temporary games missed, these due to protocols or positive tests or injury or whatever it is, they certainly help running backs the most because the asymmetrical upside of running back X getting inserted into the starting primary back role for any given team is 30-plus fantasy points, see Justin Jackson. It's 20-plus fantasy points if you're a Josh Palmer, if you're a Isaiah McKenzie, but the upside just isn't as great, and the injuries are not as frequent. So the reason why zero RB moving forward will be preferable to, say, robust RB where you're loading up on two, three, four running backs early, I would rather go zero RB because you know as the season plays out, you can pluck these players off the waiver wire and play them. The problem is, like in the Scott Fish Bowl, Justin Jackson wasn't available. So many of these backup running backs from Khalil Herbert to A.J. Dillon, down the list, all rostered. So you can stream wide receiver. You could stream Isaiah McKenzie. You could stream Josh Palmer. I couldn't pick up Justin Jackson. So it really depends on the league. You could argue that I didn't advance in the Scott Fish Bowl because I didn't get enough production out of my running backs that Sanders and Dillon, classic zero RB picks, just weren't good enough. And I had plenty of zero wide receiver options on my bench. Could have played McKenzie, could have played Josh Palmer, but that's one outcome. That's one team. And if you're picking up running backs throughout the weeks, especially at the end of the season where there's only a handful of teams competing and it's a lot easier to pick up a Justin Jackson on the waiver wire in week 15 than it is week 5 when you have 12 teams competing for the next starting running back to come available. But if you go down team by team, there's been multiple running backs on 10 plus teams that have become starters at some point in the season and help fantasy teams. I mean, we forget, but we're talking about Daryl Williams, Sony Michelle, go down the list. But what I see happening as the offseason plays out is a complete and total rush to the zero RB format, and I likely won't be doing it unless it's Superflex or 2 QB. At the end of the day, the tactic worked in Superflex in this Godfish Bowl. I got to the conference championship and, you know, I was 30 points away from advancing. I think that's a win. That's a success story for going proper zero RB, pure zero RB in a super flex or two QB league. However, in a traditional single quarterback league, you're going to want to get a Jonathan Taylor and Austin Eckler in the first two rounds. There's such a strategic advantage and knowing it's easier to actually stream the McKenzie's and the Palmers late in the season than it is even the Justin Jackson's makes it easier to justify Hero RB. I mean, we keep circling around this. Every year, we keep circling around Hero RB. I'm so glad I invented this format, right? It's like, modified Zero RB, what? That doesn't make any sense. It's not modified anything. You can't call it modified Zero RB just to try to shoehorn the word Zero RB or the term Zero RB in. It's not modified anything. It's pure Hero RB. You need that Hero whether it's Jonathan Taylor or Austin Eckler, they're what got you there. And if you have Austin Eckler, he gets you to the playoffs and you go pick up Justin Jackson and you move on to the championship. That was the way to go. Drafting running back early and building around that upside, that leverage at that position is still the right move knowing that Cooper Cup is available in round three and four and you can stream wide receiver. Just know that. When they talk about the Justin Jacksons winning championships and advancing people to the fantasy football Super Bowl, when that's discussed at length, the power of the free agent running back pickup late in the season, just don't forget that streaming wide receivers is also a viable option and can be almost more lucrative in some ways in some weeks than streaming running backs. I can guarantee you I guarantee, I I mean, write this down, come back to me with a receipt. I guarantee you the number of zero RB articles and the discussion of streaming running backs late in the season will be 10x, there'll be 10x the content volume talking about that phenomenon than streaming wide receivers, knowing what to focus on when you're picking up wide receivers in free agency and streaming them. Josh Palmer was straightforward, right? Josh Palmer was a hell of a lot more straightforward than Isaiah McKenzie because Isaiah McKenzie hasn't been productive since last year. So John Daigle comes on the show. He does the research for you. says, hey, you got to look back at last year and look at Isaiah McKenzie in a starting slot role. You should play him. Okay, fair, but we have seen Josh Palmer be productive in the face of all these new targets as a starting wide receiver for the Chargers this year, so that that was that was easier, right? That was an easier case to be made, and that's why the Palmer projection, his upside projection on player profile, it was simply higher than McKenzie. It was just a little bit easier and more straightforward. And the baseline projection for Treadwell was higher than both of those guys because you knew he was going to get the targets and the air yards. But the upside was that's why you saw the upside has this ceiling. The upside on players like Treadwell has this ceiling, and knowing it was. A 20% chance of advancing going against other division champions. I should have chased upside with reckless abandon in this Godfish Bowl and not played any fringe players on bad teams. Say no to Seals Jones. Say no to Treadwell and just try to get a piece of those bigger game totals with players tethered to prolific quarterbacks. That was a mistake I made. That's a lesson and a takeaway. From week 16 that I was most eager to share with you all today. And we need to do a study on this whole squeaky wheel game thing. Can we get this figured out? Can someone tell me if it's real? Can we do deep research to figure out the squeaky wheel thing? Because the Amari I knew it. Like I knew it, you knew it. We were playing Amari Cooper. We knew it. In my bones I felt it. But I didn't have any data to back it up. And in shallower leagues, I I know people were benching Amari Cooper, and I don't even blame them. Like, at some point, you got to stop playing Allen Robinson just based on the brand recognition. you got to stop playing Amari Cooper just based on the brand recognition. Like I, I get it. Had they been playing a Carolina Panthers, a team with a top-five secondary in fantasy points against wide receivers, I, I, I could have seen myself benching Amari Cooper. It would have been a much easier case to make. It's like, hey, they don't allow fantasy points to wide receivers, and Amari Cooper hasn't produced in over a month. Since he had COVID, it's not just random chance. There is a clear cause and effect correlation that you could draw. Because you don't just start players just because they were drafted higher or that the public views them as good or better than another option on your bench. You need to run your start-sit decisions through this prism. What's the offense they're going to be operating in? What's the role they're going to have? What's the game total? The likely game environment? In retrospect... The play was McKenzie all along and over a lot of other options. And at least we talked about it. At least we fucking talked about it. At least we gave out the advice to play him in deep leagues because I'm in these other dynasty leagues where I was playing McKenzie, where we start five to six receivers. Then it's easy. Then, of course, you're playing McKenzie. So we have 10 dynasty leagues that I'm in, 10 patron leagues, patreon.com forward slash podfather. I'm trying to compete for championships in about six of those leagues and five of my teams were still alive and four have advanced to the championship. So I feel good about it. Of those four, I would say at least two are favorites to win it all. So two out of 10, not bad. 20% championship rate among your dynasty leagues is good because you know there's a certain percentage, whatever it is. 40%, 35%, whatever it is, of leagues that you're rebuilding. You're in a productive struggle. You're in the midst of it, and it's not going to happen. Patreon.com forward slash podfather. Support this show. Support this show, which typically only has one advertisement, our signature sponsor, Underdog Fantasy. UnderdogFantasy.com. It's not even really a sponsorship. Yes, they sponsor the show, but it's a public service because we have the Underdog Pick'em Generator, and we've been providing you know, positive expected returns for those that played underdog best ball all summer. So we're really doing a public service here, just introducing you all to underdog promo code underworld, underdogfantasy.com fantasy.com promo code underworld to get a $100 instant deposit match when you play. And they have weekly tournaments to play essentially underdog DFS. They have pick'ems to take overs and unders, and they have 2022 tournaments already live. No one's on it like underdogs on it. But you go to Patreon to support the show, say, hey, I appreciate the Pod Father. He's waking up every Monday morning, writing notes down on a piece of paper, talking about his leagues that he's in where he's losing. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible Scottish accents. McKinsey boy. Hey. So that's how you support the show. And then we can go out and we can find more hosts and do more shows. We've done so many more shows this year than we've ever done. And that's because of our vibrant Patreon community. Patreon.com forward slash podfather. It's just six bucks a month. And you get a free Roto Underworld t-shirt in the deal. As well as advice from us, access to our Discord, access to these Patron Dynasty Leagues where you can throw the gauntlet down and challenge me and probably lose. You're probably gonna lose, but you could try. You could you could damn well try. Patreon.com forward slash podfather. And I'm on Ross St. Brown had one of the most impressive games of the weekend. I mean, I'm on Ross St. Brown was a revelation it was difficult to get excited about Amon Ross-St. Brown given it was going to be Tim Boyle at quarterback. So for all the reasons why you wanted to play McKenzie and you wanted to play Palmer over a St. Brown, the same reasons why you wanted to play those guys over a Treadwell or over a Berrios, because it's tempting. Like, oh, there's going to get air yards and targets are available in the Jets offense and the Jaguars offense. In the Lions offense, but how much? Is Tim Boyle going to throw for 200 yards? Probably not. Some of those targets are going to go elsewhere. They can't just throw to Amon Ross St. Brown the entire time. But as it turns out, Amon Ross St. Brown was efficient anyway. 9 of 11 for 91 yards and the touchdown. And the touchdown. So he gave you close to 25 fantasy points in a game where the quarterback threw for less than 200 yards. So process-wise, had you not played Amon Ross St. Brown, it's perfectly understandable. It's perfectly understandable. You should be kicking yourself more, as I am, if you had not played McKenzie than had not played Amon Ross St. Brown. Because that's the process. And we've talked about this for many weeks, that you want to play wide receivers playing featured roles in prolific offenses. That the ceiling is just bananas. That was Amon ra St. Brown, absolutely maxing out his probabilities, right? There was just, he had to catch 80 plus percent of the passes and score a touchdown. And on top of that, dominate the target share, unlike almost anyone else in the league. The thing is, he's been doing that the last few weeks. So he had the history of production in a way that Isaiah McKenzie and even Josh Palmer did not. So that would have been the justification. That was the same justification for playing Treadwell. He's been getting the air yards. He's been getting the targets. No Chenault. But I think heading into 2022, you're going to hear this mantra more and more and more and more, which is just say no to these bad offenses. Just say no. Stop. Enough with the contortions, right? Trying to figure out an argument why and how a guy can... Get you 20-plus fantasy points. Yeah, okay. 80-plus percent catch rate. Okay, gets the one touchdown that the team scores. Okay, okay, right? And he's good. Yes, fine. These are the arguments you hear for drafting good players on bad teams, right? And generally speaking, I would simply rather draft a good wide receiver on a good team. That's it. That's it, right? Even if there's a lot more target competition, like you had in Cincinnati with T. Higgins, it's still the way to go. It's still the way to go. The upside is still higher. And when you look up and who's advancing in the Scott Fishbowl, it's people that stacked Burrow and Higgins. It just makes sense. Burrow's capable of over 400 yards. Boyle's not capable of 200 yards against the Falcons. That's the difference. When you play it out and you keep playing Higgins over and over again versus playing Amon Ross St. Brown over and over again, Higgins is going to come out on top and Higgins is actually going to push you all the way over the top in a critical championship week or semifinal week. I remember the case for DJ Moore. We, we were 10 slots below consensus on DJ Moore. I remember talking to Josh Larkey. I was like, Josh, can we really be this far below consensus on DJ Moore? He's like... Not only does he have new target competition this year, but he has Sam Darnold at quarterback. I can't get my head around how a team that's going to play slow and spread the ball around is going to get DJ Moore to a place that he's helping your fantasy team, especially at the end. And he couldn't have been, it was like a light bulb just went off in my head. I was like, yeah. He's like, in what world is DJ Moore smashing in this particular week and, and he's advancing you into the playoffs? And you look up and it's like, when's the last time DJ Moore had a 20-point week? He's good, right? He's good. It's pretty clear at this point that Amon Ross St. Brown is good. And yet, you'd rather play Isaiah McKenzie because it's the Bills that are going to have to go out and and put up 30-plus points. So I think look out for that. Look out for that on our world-famous draft kit cheat sheet this year. You're going to see more players tethered to top quarterbacks bubbling up to the top. And you're going to see a suppression of players that simply can't get there most weeks because in DFS, for example, you're not playing them. You're not playing them because you'd never stack them with their quarterback because you hate the game environment. So you're not playing much of that player in DFS week in, week out. So why would we recommend you draft them in the summer? How? We wouldn't. We didn't. But because it was a successful prism, through which to evaluate fantasy assets this summer, we're going to go back to that and likely ratchet up the approach in 2022. And Burrow, right? Burrow just buried people. And we talked about, I mean, isn't this fantasy football where I started McKenzie in multiple leagues, but all I can obsess about is that one league I didn't start him. And I go back and think about the shows we laid down Last week, and what were we talking about? We talked about Burrow and stacking Burrow and that he was the number one quarterback to play in DFS and you wanted to double stack him. Burrow with Chase and Higgins, Burrow with Higgins and Boyd, whatever you wanted to do. Because we knew this was the game that was going to shoot out, the sneaky shootout. That Vegas pegging that 44-and-a-half was outrageous. It was outrageous. It was the bet of the year. There were two great bets on on the slate. We talked about it at length. Why you got to go over on Bengals Ravens. And it played out exactly like we talked about. They just didn't have a cornerback that could match up with T Higgins. When everybody's gone, no Jimmy Smith, there's no big corners left. Marlon Humphrey, goodbye. Who's going to match up with T Higgins? Nobody. That's what happens. That's and then how could you set the the, the over under at 44 and a half? It was crazy. And what was the other one? What was the other the the Sports betting 101 move is always and forever to take home dogs getting 10-plus points. And who was that this week? The Texans. And what they do, they won. I didn't say take the money line. I just say take the points, baby. Take the points. You Detroit getting 10-plus points at home against Arizona, you just play the play the Lions. Done. The Texans, you just on principle. The Texans actually have a defense that's been suppressing point scoring. I mean, they, they even they even had that going for them. They have an underrated defense. that That wasn't even factored in. I don't understand Vegas. I don't understand some of these lines. And here we are. Like, being profitable. It's not even hard. You don't have to play all these games. Now, what happens is you end up playing like parlays that don't hit because there's just one outcome that you didn't like it didn't work for your parlay or you end up playing 3 or 4 or 5 or 6 or 7 lines and then sure you, the texans hit and the over on ravens bengal's hit and the, but you lost these other two and then you no you got to have the discipline to just take the the most clear and obvious plays sometimes there's none sometimes there's just one maybe two that's it and i, I was talking to josh larkey we are going to have a new feature for the DFS Dominator next year. Because part of what generates the upside projections is the Vegas game totals. Like We are essentially outsourcing what we believe to be the total points available in any given game to the Las Vegas sportsbooks. And I'm so sick of them getting it so wrong. Like not knowing who's going to be playing for the Ravens. Like, how do you not know that? So then we have to go in and manually adjust them. Like, we had to manually turn up the points that we projected to be scored in that game so that we could get Higgins and Chase to project properly as they should have been. I'm sick. I'm so sick of it that we are going to create a tool that lets you put in the scores. Like, you just get all the scores on the slate and then you set them. We'll let you override Vegas. Like, you could set a game total for any given game. We'll default it to what the sports books are saying. We'll default the values. Then you can go in and tweak the values and say, actually, you know, I, I see the Bengals scoring 30 in this game. I think it's going to be uh, 30-21. Oh, Josh Johnson's the quarterback? Let's say 30-17, right? That's still a 47-point over-under. That's still two and a half points higher than where Vegas had pegged it last time we looked at it. Maybe it moved up. It could have moved up since yeah, I didn't look at it, rate right it kickoff. But it could have been upwards of 50 and made perfect sense. And Burrow's going to be jumping up the dynasty ranking. So if, if you still have dynasty trades open, right, if there is no trade deadline in your league, T. Higgins is about to, to pop. Burrow's is going up. Even Boyd's is going up. Boyd's a playmaker. Right, boy, just might not be back in Cincinnati because they can't pay a third receiver anything more than you know eight million a year. And if you're part of the Joe Burrow offense, you're gonna put up numbers, and you're gonna to want to go to the market and say, hey, hey, does anyone want to pay me for the the numbers I'm putting up with Joe Burrow? Even though wherever I go, I probably won't put up those numbers with whatever quarterback I'm with. Just like Kenny Galladay can't put up his Matthew Stafford numbers in New York. At some point, Galladay's a value. Like he's not. He's not terrible. He has thousand yard seasons on his resume. He has huge boom weeks in his game logs. He is capable of doing that. It's just Jake Fromm and Mike Glennon. Like you would never play Galladay because the offense is just pathetic, but that's going to change in dynasty that changes. They could somehow find, find a quarterback in New York. And the next thing you know, oh, he's, he's, he's relatively productive. It can't get any worse. I think this offseason I'm gonna go out and try to acquire some Kenny Galladay just because he's viewed as, as such a zero. He's just worthless. You can't start this guy. Allen Robinson, same thing. I'm going to be trying to get some Allen Robinson. I just you know my sensibility is big X receivers that win on the perimeter and have boom week potential, like what we saw from T Higgins. I'm chasing these T. Higgins weeks is what I'm doing. That's why I have so many wide receivers on my teams that look like Allen Robinson, that look like T Higgins. And look out for Kyle Pitts. I mean, Kyle Pitts was vultured by Hayden Hurst. I mean, we called so many things. We called Hayden Hurst breaking people's hearts. And sure enough, there goes Pitts with a 100-yard week, but he couldn't score. Why Hayden Hurst took the touchdown. I mean, right? Pitts has been snake bitten all year. Ridley will likely be back next year. I hope he is. And so there's now going to be this insertion of target competition back into the offense. There's going to be quarterback uncertainty. And Kyle Pitts coming off a disappointing season where he underperformed his ADP in both Dynasty and Seasonal Leagues. But I can already see it coming. I can see the future where we're going to be out ahead of consensus on Kyle Pitts because he's 21 years old and he's commanding targets and he's commanding air yards and he's been relatively efficient with his targets. He's just not scoring touchdowns. So we're going to lean into that touchdown variance, especially season to season. That is the best way to glean value in seasonal drafts, to lean into the touchdown variance. And Kyle Pitts, just the perfect, I mean, I knew this would happen. I knew it. I I was like, I like Kyle Pitts. I want to be clear with Ryan Lopes and everyone else. I like Kyle Pitts. This guy is a unicorn. He is. He's the earliest drafted tight end in NFL draft history. Of course he's good. Of course I like him. But I probably won't be drafting him or trading for him until 2022. It just depends on how he does this season. The unluckier he is in 2021 the more i'll have him in 2022 that's what it is and i'm just trying to get my head around drafts that aren't based on hero rb i mean because hero rb is just so clearly the move where you want to lock in a jonathan taylor or an austin eckler into your rb1 spot and then let that rb2 spot be up for grabs throughout the season maybe you were playing rashad penny Maybe you even benched Rashad Penny this week and and played Justin Jackson. And then they both were super productive, right? But if you look at these running backs that are inserted into primary back roles and they're pulling the touch competition out of the offense, whether it's Seattle pulling Alex Collins out of the offense, it's the Texans pulling David Johnson out of the offense, and then there's Rex Burkhead, 150 yards and two touchdowns. The fact that a Rex Burkhead can go off for 150 yards and two touchdowns, or that a Justin Jackson can outscore even him because of all his activity in the passing game, and yet you'd be happy with just Rashad Penny, 100 yards and a touchdown, it tells you that when you draft, you don't need to even think about your RB2. Whoever your RB2 is may not even be on the dynasty rankings at this point. There was a time when Rex Burkhead was the number four running back in Houston who projected to be the worst franchise in the league at age 29. He had no dynasty value whatsoever. It was 0.000. You couldn't make a case for why you would ever acquire Rex Burkhead. And then the case was made in week 16 that you want to play Rex Burkhead. You didn't know there was going to be all this positive game script. You were thinking maybe he'd score a touchdown with 80 yards. That would be a lot more realistic. But sometimes this happens. The upside for the running back with a reasonable all-purpose skill set. That's Penny. That's Burkhead. That's Justin Jackson. Inserted into an offense, they can go out and score 30 fantasy points. Where even McKenzie couldn't do that. Palmer couldn't do that. So in any given draft, I want my RB1 spot... First and foremost, I'm going to be making sure I can get a super back in my RB1 spot. But I'm going to be prioritizing the wide receiver two and three spots before that RB2 spot. Knowing that, you're going to lose wide receivers to COVID. You're going to lose Brandon Cooks. You're going to lose guys. I don't know if there's going to be these COVID protocols next year. I think they'll modify them. You know the NFL does not want... So many star players missing games week in, week out, where, okay, this week it's Travis Kelce and it's Cole Beasley and it's all these guys, it's Brandon Cooks. There's just too many. There's too many go-to players on teams that are unavailable, and sometimes for multiple weeks because of the testing protocols and the rules. And so I expect them to update them to make it easier to get cleared even if you test positive. So, I think that's going to happen. So, I think there's going to be this is going to be a moment in time where everyone's like, you can't predict anything. There's so many guys on the waiver wire every week, zero everything. Why even draft anybody? You can just draft three tight ends and just try to hit on Mark Andrews, just start tight end, tight end, tight end. You can see that happening just because who, who cares? You're just going to start Palmer and McKenzie and Burkhead and Justin Jackson and win. Why do you even need to draft anybody? So I think there's going to be less less instability week to week with player availability next year. And I think there will be fewer running back injuries overall. We had an incredibly high rate of injury for running backs this year. So I think with those two things coming together, you're going to feel better about drafting running back in round one or two. And I doubt in most formats you'll be going pure zero RB, but there there's going to be a huge push using the data from this year to justify pure zero RB. Like you don't need to draft a running back. Maybe ever forget it. Why even bother? Like we're going to have to cape up for hero RB. That's what I think that's going to happen. Like us drafting even one running back in rounds one or two is going to be something we need to justify. (laughs) Like, like, no, really guys, (laughs) you do need running backs. There's not always going to be a Justin Jackson and a Rex Burkhead and a Rashad Penny available in the fantasy playoffs. It's not, it's not always exactly like that. It's not every week. The, the, Eckler is going to be unavailable and Jonathan Taylor's dud out. That, that was one year, guys. Come on. I can't wait. I can't wait for 2022 when I could see it. Hero RB is going to be edgy. Like I remember drafting two running backs was edgy. Remember that? Now drafting one running back is going to be edgy. Ooh. And yeah, in super flex and 2QB, you're going to want to get your quarterbacks early, and then you're going to have to make tough choices on running back versus receiver. But in single quarterback, this is not the year to build models off of. It's just not. not. Can we not build models off this year, please? They will, though. They will. I know they will. God, I don't want to bury the lead. I can't, I can't bear the lead on how right we were with Burrow and this Bengals-Ravens game and Isaiah McKenzie and Keyshawn Vaughn. He's better than Ronald Jones, and it's obvious. Keyshawn Vaughn had seven carries. Ronald Jones had 20. Who had the big, hairy, long run, 55-yard run? Who's more explosive? Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn. Who runs faster? Keyshawn Vaughn. Who has a more impressive all-purpose skill set? Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn. I know, oh, Ronald Jones had three targets. Vaughn only had one. Okay. But Keyshawn Vaughn also had a much lower snap share. Keyshawn Vaughn is an interesting, interesting dynasty running back. He is best comparable to Dalvin Cook, and he doesn't want to work hard, right? I think that now, at this point, Ronald Jones has decided that he wants to be a professional. He's showing up early. He's putting in the effort. He's building trust. Three years into the Ronald Jones experiment, I think that's happening. Those are the reports are finally positive from the Beat Reporter. It's about Ronald Jones' attitude, his whole approach to the game. Keyshawn Vaughn is skipping minicamp where Tom Brady's like, where's Keyshawn Vaughn? Like, he's not showing up. So I don't trust that Keyshawn Vaughn wants to be an NFL player, knows how to be a true professional, and like a, a Jonathan Taylor, be a top 10 running back in the league. I think it, to be a top 10 player in the league at any position, you have to embrace the professionalism of the sport. I'm not sure about Keyshawn Vaughn, but I know that he's worth taking a chance on in Dynasty. We know that of all the depth charts, this was one of the more stable running back depth charts in the league, but it likely won't be next year. I don't know if Leonard Fournette's going to be back. I think he will be, but I think we can project pretty comfortably. Whoever is the starting running back in Tampa in 2022 will have Keyshawn Vaughn as their direct backup. And there's going to be very few direct backups in the league that are as skilled as Keyshawn Vaughn is next year. So if you're going hero RB and you're, you're you're drafting at least one big hairy super back in the first two rounds, then you're just drafting whoever the next Tony Pollard is in rounds 9, 10, 11, 12. Well, who is that guy? That guy looks a lot like Keyshawn Vaughn. It may be too late. To get him in Dynasty. I hope you stashed him and and held on to him. I have him in a bunch of leagues on the taxi squad. And I'm like, why would I ever drop Keyshawn Vaughn? He has a 90th percentile running back prospect profile. And he's on a team with one of the best offensive lines. One of the top scoring offenses. And we know that between medical protocols and injuries... Number 2 and number 3 running backs are being vaulted into the number 1 chair, the primary back chair every week. There's like five new starting running backs. So how could how could you not want this guy in all formats? I'm talking about next year, best ball, seasonal leagues, but especially dynasty. We'll see how free agency plays out, but however it plays out, I I see Tampa seeing especially what they got from Ronald Jones this week and then comparing it to Keyshawn Vaughn and going, why? Keyshawn Vaughn's a better ball handler and he's giving us the explosive runs that we were supposed to be getting from Ronald Jones. So why would we keep this guy? And you're not even on Ronald Jones, dude. Maybe if you're on Ronald Jones, I could get on board. We could all benefit from Keyshawn Vaughn having a new attitude this offseason. Maybe Keyshawn Vaughn shows up for minicamp. Like if if T, oh my God. If Keyshawn Vaughn shows up for minicamp and all of a sudden you're hearing positive reports in training camp about his work ethic, that's a guy I'm going to be drafting more than any other player in the league. That's a guy I'm going to be drafting more than any other player in the league. Oh, the chat just told me how do I can find my Scottish accent? You got to go to the Sean Connery, and then you go from the Sean Connery to McKenzie. That's how you do it. Oh my God! Thank you, chat. Ryan, some things in this boat don't react too well to bullets. Now go pick up and play McKenzie. Top 10 takeaways! Primary input device changed to built-in microphone. No! No! We we've gotta change this. Microphone! It's gotta be the sure digital! I hope this is the sure- I hope we're streaming with the sure digital microphone. Oh no. I don't know why it changed. It's it should be it should be the sure digital microphone. I have no idea. This is the first time in the history of my streaming software. That I got an alert, a random alert, that it changed my microphone to the built-in audio from the Sure Digital. This is a Sure Digital microphone, Electro Voice uh, 9000 something something. Uh, hey Johnson Robinson Jr., what's up? Yo 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 yo, what's up, buddy? How do I sound? Do I sound like I'm on a microphone, or do I sound like I'm at uh, the? It's the uh, default computer input. So you should tell me that right now. Uh, we'll do it again. I'm not sure if we. I'm not sure how this came through. So, we'll do it again. Top 10 takeaways! Let's ride, baby! Okay, I made the wrong start-sit decision, but it didn't matter, thank God. The guy who beat me destroyed me. If I had had some balls. Hey, the Isaiah McKenzie! Hey! Good old McKenzie! Yes! I can't do... I cannot do a Scottish accent. McKinsey, I can't do it. I can't, I don't know how to do it. I don't know. McKinsey, yeah. But he is from the McKinsey clan, yes, yes. yes. The Highlands. (laughs) Del (laughs) something, I don't, what? McKinsey, I, I can't, I don't know how to make that sound British. Top of the morning to you, McKinsey boy. I can't do it. How's the clan? Ah! It doesn't make sense. Like, I don't, I can't do it. It's not good. And uh, I refuse to take any more comments from the chat. Come on, come on, see the McKenzie. What? Don't, again, does it even work? Now go pick up and play McKinsey. And if you have Austin Eckler, he gets you to the playoffs and you go pick up. Justin Jackson, and you move on to the championship. That was the way to go. He's waking up every Monday morning, writing notes down on a piece of paper. He's waking up every Monday morning, writing notes down on a piece of paper, and then comparing it to Keyshawn Vaughn and going, why? Keyshawn Vaughn's a better ball handler, and he's giving us the explosive runs that we were supposed to be getting from Ronald Jones. Who's going to match up with T. Higgins? Nobody. ''Ryan, some things in this boat don't react too well to bullets.''